Good morning, this is Susie Pomerantz, executive coach and founder of the Leading Coaches Center, and I'm absolutely delighted to have on the call today Michael Bungay-Stanier, who is one of my absolute favorite colleagues, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him because he's so incredibly humble, he wouldn't tell you himself. <laughs> he, is, um, he was awarded Canadian Coach of the Year, and he's written several books. The first one was Get Unstuck and Get Going on Stuff That Matters. And he also wrote a wonderful book called Find Your Great Work, which has been picked up by a New York publisher and is going to be re-released under the title Do More Great Work, so look for that. And you can find really fabulous movies that he's made online. Uh, one of my favorites is The Eight Irresistible Principles of Fun, which if you haven't seen it yet, you have to go see it right this minute. He has a great movie about finding your great work and another really thought-provoking one called Five and Three Quarters Questions You've Been Avoiding. Um, he's spoken four times at the ICF conference, and his company, which you've probably heard of, is BoxOfCrayons.com. So welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for being with me. That is a pleasure, Susie. And one tiny tweak, the uh, URL is BoxOfCrayons.biz, B-I-Z, or B-I-Z, oh, no. depending on where you are in the world. Excellent. Thank you for correcting that. BoxOfCrayons.biz. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. So... So you have built a number of really successful businesses. You did the Possibility Virus, you've mm -hmm. got a box of crayons, you're doing all these amazing things. You're a movie maker, a book writer. How do you find time for coaching and all that? You know, the answer is I don't do very much coaching. Um, and in part, that is a strategic decision. Um, I mean, you, you, in the, the kind introduction, you sort of intimated that one of my things I focus on at the moment is around gr uh, great work and, you know, helping people and organizations do less good work and more great work. And at the heart of that lies um, making some choices about where you strategically focus. And for me, I love coaching. I mean, I love the impact coaching has. I love the that moment when you work with somebody and new possibilities open up or they step into a new sense of wisdom or empowerment, to use a slightly boring word, or, or courage or focus, whatever it might be. But for me, I'm like, I want to have a certain impact in this world. And um, in fact, I talk about it as wanting to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. And what that means is I need to find uh, channels to communicate my work in, in ways that are wide rather than I have um, a few coaching clients, uh, typically no more than four, and um, I keep it limited to that, that focused practice as a choice and a commitment to do my great work. Oh, that's fantastic. So the, I love the point you're making about keeping it focused and strategic because that's something that as coaches we want to help, we want to make a difference, and we want to go in all these different directions. And it's while it looks like you've done an incredible variety of things, you've done it from a place of strategic choice, and that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, of course, it sounds a whole lot better when I'm actually talking about it. I mean, you need to know that I, am, I have the uh, – have you ever heard of the SOS? SOS stands for the Shiny Object Syndrome. <laughs> So I, I, I mean, I effectively hire the, the, some of the support that I have and, and some of the coaches I've used. Really, their primary role is to reduce my natural tendency to get distracted. And, you know, I've been distracted along the way. These things always sound better when you tell them in retrospect. But it, there has been an active choice about staying, staying focused, staying strategic, and being pulled forward by a clarity about what, my, what I want my bigger impact in the world to be. 
And so tell us a little bit of your story and, and what you attribute your success to. I mean, I know you, you were a Rhodes Scholar, and did that have some impact on the choices that you've made around building your successful business? Well, the, the, the Rhodes Scholarship had an indirect impact on that because what it did is it stopped me. Uh, I was finishing a law degree in Australia when I won the Rhodes Scholarship, and it whisked me off to England, and effectively it stopped me becoming a lawyer. And for that, the legal profession is eternally grateful, and so am I. Um, and so that that helped. Um, the other influ- one, another big influence was actually my first job, which I you know I finally got to after too many years at university, was actually run by a couple of very entrepreneurial guys, and they helped role model a bunch of stuff about what it means to run a business and be in an entrepreneurial uh, environment, and. In some ways, there was a good deal of luck involved in terms of having that as my first working experience. But in terms of what my success of building a business, I mean, uh, in, I've got some strong characteristics of an entrepreneur, and I've got some non-strong characteristics of an entrepreneur. And one of the strong ones is around um, a, a, a relentless willingness to self-promote. You know, under my you know shy, self-deprecating style, I do a lot of work to get my name and my brand out there in the world. Um, you know, I speak at lots of conferences, I write, I connect, I, I, I win awards like the Canadian Coach of the Year. And you don't win those awards by accident. You, there's a degree of deliberation to um, show up and make yourself available and seen and presented in the right light to win something like that. So, so being visible, actively being visible and having that as a strategic activity that you consciously do right. as part of your business. I mean, and you know this because of your own background in, in um, particularly in, in marketing and selling, but the difference between a successful business and a non-successful business is revenue. Yeah. It's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, that's the key metric. And it has nothing to do with, you know, validity of purpose or, you know, sense of saving the worldness or whether you're a nice person or not. It's actually a going, need to get comfortable with marketing, need to get comfortable with selling. Need to get comfortable with asking for money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and lots of it. I mean, I know you probably didn't start out asking for the half a million dollar contract, but, you know, how do you... How do you well, learn to create bigger and bigger deals? Because doesn't the doesn't yeah, it right. I mean, his, his, to give you people an idea of what my money stuff was like, and still is, is I still have some of this lingering around. But in my very first job, I got um, I got offered this fantastic job at what's become the world's largest independent innovation company. <clears throat> and when they advertised the job, they were like, "It's going to be." It was in London, England, and it was the jobs. The pay is between fifteen and twenty thousand pounds per year. And they call me up, and I was like so excited to get the job. And, and Matt, the boss, said, "Okay, so we want to give you the job. How much would you like to get paid?" So you know, I know in my head it's between fifteen and twenty thousand pounds. So I come back with my strong request: I would like twelve thousand pounds a year. There's a sort of stunned silence on the end of the phone, and <laughs> they're like, "Okay, why don't we give you fifteen? Uh-huh. And I have got better about asking money after that, but. Um, you know, quite frankly, there's, it's, it's, it's partly driven by the, the recognition that if you, if, you, if you value yourself cheaply, you often lack credibility in terms of who your audience is and who you're trying to sell to. That's right. And, and there's a basic thing about you, you, you practice. I mean, honestly, I practice saying, you know, 
I would like my price is X thousand dollars an hour or X thousand dollars a day or whatever it might be. And you know, it's a gulp, and then you get you get more used to it. And then um, you know, partly with my guidance from my coach, um, you know, he helps me continue to review how much I charge and decide whether to increase that price or not. So it's practice. Ah, very good. And it's also you know the bit about the gulp. I love that because. There's that moment after you say it, too. It's not just practicing saying it and getting over the gulp. It's that moment of being quiet after you say right. it and not, not you know, raising questions with your facial expressions or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, or that, that like, yeah, Please don't hate me. Please don't beat me. Please don't think I'm a, a, an avaricious, evil person. All that stuff that's actually rapidly going through your mind. You're right. just like, I, I, say the number and take a breath. Exactly. And just wait. Mm. <laughs> Don't mm. assume that they're in shock just because you are. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. And do you find that it's that um, it's really different to create larger deals, larger scale um, engagements than the smaller coaching engagements that you do? Yeah. Um, um, I think I, I lost you a bit. Did you say it's different to bill or ask for money for those larger scale engagements? To create the, the deal, yeah. I'm wondering where did you learn how to create the larger scale deals as opposed to just the, you know, the smaller coaching yeah. contracts? Well, in part I had the, the – after – in part I spent some time working for consultancy. So first this innovation agency and then an, uh, a more marketing uh, management consultancy. So I got used to seeing what it meant to write a proposal and and make a case for an ongoing larger project, um, and and part of it and and so part of part of that's also part of what's expected in the work that I've done because part of my background has been not has actually been larger change projects which take time and you actually need to think about them in stages and you need to think about them in we're on this part then this part then this part so you just need to be thinking about uh, a bigger picture about how do we have impact and how do we make stuff stick and I think there's something valuable about going what what is the arc of this and how might it unfold and how how do I tell that story in a way that brings it to life for my clients and how do I start attaching numbers to the different parts of the story as it unfolds? Oh, I love that. And so, so how did you get to where you are now? What are, what are some of the key motivations for you or key inspirations? Tell us a little bit more of your story. Well, how did I get here? Um, you know, <clears throat> the shorthand would be by accident. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, there's a quote that I use often, um, and it's this inspiration is when your past suddenly makes sense yeah. so there's a certain amount of looking back and going well here's why I suffered through these bosses and learned these skills and did this and did that and didn't do this and didn't do that that sort of culminated in this moment and where I am now um, you know one of the one of the key insights is that I've yet to have a boss who I really get along well with <laughs> and it's finally occurred to me that actually I have a whole bunch of assumptions about how I work with people, which is primarily don't really get don't really get this whole concept of boss because I'm you know as good as they are even if they're in a different hierarchical position, yeah. which sort of makes it difficult to work with a lot of bosses. So there's a certain recognition at some stages I've either got to get lucky with my boss or I've got to be my own boss because this isn't working. Right. Um, and um, 
So I just remember one day, maybe 10 years ago, maybe a bit longer going, I think the next step here is to, to set up my own business. And, uh, um, and what really helped was um, in my first year, I had a, um, a one-year contract for doing some work for two days a week. And what that did was provide enough financial security for me to flap about in that first year to try and figure out what I was all about. And, you know, I'm still flapping about to some extent, but um, working in such a way that you are not driven by financial desperation and fear allows you to actually take a breath and be thoughtful about what your business is. Yeah, or at least it did so for me. So, that's a very good point, and you know it's it's a particularly timely point when you look at sort of the trials and tribulations in the global economy mm. these days. And I think that a lot of people who may have even experienced success previously in their business are starting to get sucked into the the international mood of fear over mm -hmm. some of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, yeah. Yeah, and so when you're, especially for those of us who are actually building out our business during this crazy time, or yeah. um, to, you know starting new businesses or taking their business into different directions, um, it seems to me that there's going to be a new set of mindsets that we'll need to cultivate that we may or may not actually know what they are right now in order to succeed. Yeah, I think that there's something right about that. I mean, part of what helps me get where I am now and hopefully continue going where I'm trying to get to, wherever that is, is actually having people around me giving me um, data and support and you know, kicking my ass and all of that sort of stuff to help me think about that stuff rather than getting sucked into the vortex of despair which you know hovers near or it can, you know, with the economy being tough and all of that. But, um, you know, I'm certainly noticing that over the last, say, six to 12 months, I'm using different muscles to try and grow my business than I was using before. Yes. And, um, you know, one of, those, one of those muscles is your really great book on selling, which is like, okay, if, if I have to change the way I sell to be a more active participant in, in this process rather than waiting for business to show up, um, what does that look and what do I need to do? And so I've got your book and I've gone and spoken to some mentors of mine who are great at corporate selling and I've got a little targeted coaching about how do I sell better and what are my own demons and shadows around doing that process. You know, and there's a sort of sense of, uh, I was talking to another coach yesterday about this and, and it was the insight is, for instance, with me, Selling is not something that I am very strong at, but I wouldn't call it a weakness. I just would call it a, a unpolished strength or an underutilized strength. And so I'm just finding the right way to frame it so it becomes something that is a strength of mine. Well, and it's also a matter of finding your natural rhythm and stride with it too, right? right. You know, and it's great that you're <laughs> open to all of these new avenues. And I like what you said about being a more active participant rather than waiting for business to show up because... That, that really is the name of the game right now. we got to get out there and hustle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and learning how to hustle in a way that's authentic and genuine for you and doesn't feel yucko is the, the whole name of the game. Right. I think that's exactly right. So you, you said you have people around you. Do you have, mm. are they all virtual um, people? Are they paid or volunteer or, or profit share? You know, what's, what's your model for engaging people to help you grow? Uh, 
Good, good question. Um, I have um, my wife is um, our vice president of everything else, and so she, she works full time and does a lot of the sort of back end systems uh, part of the work, which is fantastic. Because yeah, I'm a thrust me in the limelight, please sort of guy. So having somebody doing the some of that detailed stuff is critical. I have uh, two. Virtual assistants isn't the right way to put them, but two partners, one of whom manages some operations stuff, and one of whom helps um, drive forward some of the sales part of the cycle for us. I have a, a coach who I've worked with for three or four years who's fantastic and who works as a sort of more like a is more like my advisory board um, mm -hmm. than, a, than a how are you feeling type of coach. Um, he's more sort of help me make better business decisions. I have, a, I have a team of coaches who are licensed to run our coaching program, Coaching for Great Work, and with them we have a financial model that um, is strongly weighted to rewarding the entrepreneurial side of selling the program. So there's a set percentage of that model about delivering the fee, but there's a, a sort of a, a sliding scale that means the more you sell of this program, the, more, the higher percentage you earn of your sale. Um, so I, the, the long and the short of it, and then I use people like, I find people on Elance who do you know, one-off technical things for me, and I have a brilliant designer, I have a brilliant web person. I have, a, I have a large group of people that allow me to show up in the world like I do. Fantastic. And so are, are any of them actually employees of your company, or is it all a virtual model? It's, it's just um, my wife and I are the two, the two full-time people, and everybody else is contractual and virtual. Fabulous. Yeah, that's that's kind of the model that I've been looking at as well, and so, mm. so that's reinforcing. And so, what what would you say you've discovered along the way that in terms of your favorite tools or models or strategies or anything that you have really loved and learned along your path that you think would be helpful to other coaches or mm. entrepreneurs in terms of growing their business. Well, a few things I think. I think one of them is, um, and, and you'll see how I'm influenced by Seth Godin here. One of them is how am I going? How am I different? Because I, you know, I see a lot of people showing up in the world and coaches in particular and the stuff they write about and speak about. And I have a, a slightly insulting acronym called Taboo, which is true and bleedingly obvious. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, that's great, but it's like, so what? <laughs> you know, there's a thousand things that already tell me that. How are you going to show up differently? What's, and what that means is a willingness to have some people say yes to you and some people say no to you. I mean, that's the definition of a brand is you're clear about who will reject you. Um, and so, you know, Box of Crayons is a distinctive brand and some people love it and some people don't love it at all. And that's perfect. So part of it is around how are you different and even more to, to amp that up a little bit, which is like how are you provocative? Mm. Because, you know, you have, to, you have to break the white noise that's out there at the moment because there's a lot of white noise that's out there. So I think that's important. Um, another thing that's really helped me has been around um, choosing who I work with. I mean, I basically look for people who I hang out with who make me think and make me laugh. And in part, what's been powerful about that is that I've noticed that if I hang out with those people, even if they don't have a budget that they might give me, like, you know, 
allow me to bid on some stage, they often know people who have a budget. So part of my marketing and sales strategy has to be get known by people who I think are cool and who hopefully think I'm cool. And then they recommend me on. So that word of mouth piece has been really critical. And I think one of the other the other strategies is, um, and I wish I could say I did this more often than I did, which is don't take it all too seriously. Mm. I mean, it's like chill out. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, I had dinner with um, David Allen about a year ago now. He's the guy who wrote Getting Things Done. Yeah. And, um, I'll tell a story in a moment about how I know him because that's another another strategy to share. Um, and I was telling him about my plans for the future and this and that and and you know his big thing over a glass of wine was relax. <laughs> you know, stop taking it all so seriously. Chill out and have some fun on the way. And I was like, ah, that's such a good piece of advice. I'll take that. that really is. But he, but here's the other thing, which is like. Um, how I know David Allen. So I write my first book and I ask a question and you heard me say this in the, uh, the, the conference uh, last month when we, when we, we, we met again, Susie. Yeah. And I was like, what wouldn't I do to make this book successful? And that what wouldn't I do was a wonderful question because it sort of eliminated a bunch of things but actually opened up a lot of possibilities. And one of them was, well, I would call people who I think are really influential and cool and ask them to help. So I found this guy, David Allen's number, because his was the first book on my bookshelf, and I really like his work. And I called the number, and on the first ring, David Allen picked up the phone and said, hello, David Allen here. Wow. Yeah, and I was like totally freaked out, because I hadn't prepared anything, I hadn't thought <laughs> through. I was just like, you know, sort of starting a process of leaving a voicemail or talking to the, the assistant of the assistant of the assistant. Anyway, so I sent David my book, and he liked it, and I sent him some other stuff, and he liked that, and then before you know it, you know, I've become his creativity coach as part of his membership site, and wow. get a lot of pleasure, but also credibility for um, hanging out with David Allen, and you know, yeah. he calls me up and says, let's have dinner when we're in, in London, and that's, that's flattering, and it comes from a sort of, what wouldn't I do to make this a success? Oh, that's really cool. And, you know, that points out one of the things that I think really distinguishes you in the, not only in the industry of coaching, but just in the world of business is your playful creativity and all of the ways that you execute and implement that in such visible ways that everyone can enjoy, I think, is really a hallmark of your brand. Well, thank you. I mean, the, I mean you could tell from the titles of some of the movies, like the five and three quarter questions you've been avoiding yeah. or, you know, the eight irresistible principles of fun. There's a degree of, I'm trying to provoke curiosity, which yeah. is like, what, what is a three-quarter of a question? And what's irresistible about these principles? And, um, you know, the, the, the new book, the Find Your Great Workbook, it's, it's got a napkin metaphor written through it. So there's a, in some ways, this, this connects with another deep principle of mine, which is make stuff beautiful mm. and elegant because um, actually design is now a critical way of adding value and differentiating yourself. Because if all content is free, which is sort of the truth now, yeah. there's nothing you can't find out for free on the web, then the way you design that content and the way you make it beautiful is what people end up paying for. So what's the, what's the elegant beauty you're going to bring into the world in terms of how you create a product or write an article or design a process or 
or build an experience for your client or whatever because that will start making a difference. And what if you're not creative? I mean, you have a brilliance in creativity. That's one of your geniuses. But what about mm -hmm. the rest of us, you know, mere mortals out here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I am creative. But, you know, for instance, my, my, my championing of design, I read a lot of design books. I subscribe to a design magazine. I work hard to, to improve my aesthetic sense mm. so that I bring an elegance to, of design to, to the brief. And I hire really great designers. You know, I hire people who, who go, I'm going to make something that's beautiful for you. So, you know, Robert and uh, Haig and Anna, who are three, three of the key people who've designed movies and posters and stuff for me in books, and, and Kyra, you know, they're all brilliant designers. And I, and I invest in that to, 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 as part of my building my brand and, and wanting to stand out from the world. And how do you go about finding these people, these brilliant designers? How do you find, you know, where do they, where do they come from? Yeah. I mean, uh, trial and error, ah. uh, word of mouth. I've, I've hired designers that haven't worked or haven't been quite right. But when I find a designer who is fantastic, I mean, at the moment, Anna is the woman who designed our version of Find Your Great Work and designed some of our other collateral. Like, I love her. <laughs> you know, I protect her. Yeah. I, want, I send her things. Because I want her, to, I want to be her favorite client, because she's wonderful. So um, I look hard, and I am fussy about who I rehire. Yeah, very good. Wow. Well, I, so what else should I be asking you that I'm not even thinking to ask you about your success strategies, <clears throat> models, tools, your mindsets? Uh, you know, everything that you've shared is just really phenomenal, and. You know, I'm I'm sitting here feeling like I want to pick your brain more, and I don't know what to ask you. <laughs> well, do you know what? Do you know what the, uh, the the two secrets for absolute happiness and wealth and deep meaning in your life is? Oh, good heavens! If you could tell me that. <laughs> well, here's the first one. The first secret is, don't tell everybody everything you know. Oh, clever. <laughs> and and the second one, you're not going to tell. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what else, what else can I say would be the secret of my success? Um, or what would you offer as wisdom, words of wisdom to someone who aspires to your level of success? You know, how can we get more entrepreneurial minded as coaches? How can we make that shift towards um, continuing to improve ourselves around the elements of business building and things like design and delegation and mm. deal making? Well, um, <laughs> Uh, I imagine if I was one of those people listening to this, I'd immediately start feeling overwhelmed by that list of things I need to get better at. Um, so I would say part of, part of what allows you to do great work, part of what allows you to flourish is, uh, and part, this is what I say are the two principles behind great work. You need two things. You need focus and you need courage. Mm. Focus is to decide where you're going to put your time and attention because you can't actually put it all on everything at the moment. You can't go, right, so this week I'm going to hire some designers, increase my sales skill, create something cool and marketable and viral and, and, and. Because then you just get depressed and your head explodes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so it's like of all the things that you could do that would most drive your business forward, what would it be? And you'll know when you've got it because you'll get a little hot and sweaty and your heart will beat a little bit faster and you'll feel a little like you want to throw up. 
that's the sort of place you want to be looking. And once you have that focus, it's like, well, how courageous are you willing to be around this? And if you're going to be 10 out of 10 courageous, what would, what would you be doing? And once you've articulated that, the question is, what help do you need to get there? Do you need a coach? Do you need a mentor? Do you need to read a book? Do you need somebody to hold your hand and say, you rock, carry on, don't despair? You know, you'll, you'll have different needs. But it's like, pick something and decide to make it extraordinary. Oh, I love that. Well, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just for my own curiosity, which of your movies went the most viral? Oh, The Eight Principles of Fun went the most viral. Yeah. Um, and you know why? I think it's because it's slightly less didactic than the other two. The yeah, other two yeah. and it's are slightly... It's more... Well, you know, it's actually... It, it quite possibly isn't more colorful than the second one, but it is It is lighter in tone than others, which are a little bit more, you know, be brave, be bold, step into greater things, which can be a little more provocative and challenging. Yeah, but I he, think but, your Find Your Great Work one is, is more edgy, is the edgiest yeah. of the three. But here's part of the, the thing about the movies. I don't know if this is useful for people to hear or not, but with, with the movies and with the two books I self-published, I got to the state where I went, if, we don't, if these don't work and they don't sell, I'm okay with the money and time I'm investing in it because I am really proud of them. Mm. And they stand as something that I will happily stand behind and go, I'm, you know, I think this is fantastic. Whether or not they, they, they succeeded using sort of more objective criteria. Um, and that's a, that feels like a, I'm not quite sure why that's useful, but it could be useful <laughs> for people. I think it is useful because it's, you know, it validates your investment. Right. Whether or not it meets the metrics it was intended to meet. So that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, with the, the first book we published, which is a complicated beast to put together, you know, <clears throat> the cost to us was about $40,000, which was a lot of money out the door. It, is, it, it still is a lot of money out the door. And, you know, um, we took a very big breath before we invested in that. And the insight was, if we lose that money, so be it. This book is worth trying to put out there and seeing how, seeing what we can do in the world to make it work. And, uh, you know, it worked, it sold out, it also built credibility and built profile and all that good stuff, but we were willing to lose that. And that sense of, well, wh how, what am I prepared to risk? What am I prepared to lose? And um, that can be money and time and credibility and, you know, standing and status, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, that's another great thing to get clear of in your mind. It's the sort of, it's the, the other half of the coin to the courage question. How brave are you willing to be? How much are you prepared to lose? Yeah, so, wow. That's a great point. It's like the whole, you know, don't go to Vegas unless you're prepared to lose. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't play a bigger game unless you're prepared to lose bigger, you right. know, and fail right. bigger and make bigger mistakes because that's where the, the big success comes from. Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, the classic uh, quote, I love it, it's a shamanic saying, you know, wisdom enters through the wound. You know, like, get out there and get scratched because it's it's your scars that that build credibility and wisdom and capability. Well, that's for sure. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> 
So this is all fantastic. What if you wanted to just wrap up by sharing any final thoughts or action steps that you would recommend or, or where we can reach you, where people can find out more about you? Um, that would be great. Or, or what are you, you know, what are you promoting now? What's your next <laughs> big thing? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, final soundbite words of wisdom. Do not take any of my advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what, I, here's what I'd say. Because this is the thing about advice is that, you know, most of it is um, you, you sort of agree with, but you don't follow it anyway. So to anybody listening to this, if there was one thing in this interview so far that was useful for you, pick that and focus on the one thing rather than going, there's 15 things I need to remember from this interview because pick one thing and do that rather than try and boil the ocean. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I'm partly serious about don't, don't, don't ever take anybody's advice, including my advice about not taking advice. No, wait, that's a paradox. <laughs> um, and... Uh, if people want to get in touch with me, you know, the, um, <clears throat> checking out, you know, why not, why not check out that your, the viral movie you like so much, The Eight Principles of Fun, that's eightprinciples.com, E-I-G-H-T, principles.com, and if you go there, you'll see plenty of ways to sign up for stuff, or email me, or get in touch, or follow me on Twitter, or all of that good stuff, or boxofcrayons.biz, B-I-Z, or B-I-Z. And, you know, what's my big thing? Well, Quite frankly, it's uh, with with Workman picking up Find Your Great Work. They're republishing it in uh, January 2010. So we're we're already into trying to build the infrastructure and the team to make sure that that launch is really successful. And we're just in the process of asking ourselves how brave are we willing to be? How much are we willing to risk and lose? Um, we're, we're trying to find our own boundaries around that at the moment. Um, to, to decide how brave to be with this. Oh, very good. Oh, well, I wish you all the success in that Thanks. going forward and in everything that you put your focus and strategic mind on. And I am so grateful that you spent this time sharing your wisdom. And, and I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's really an honor to pick your brain. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Susie. Thanks. Take care, Michael. Bye. Bye.